You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Scottish Football Forums podcast. I'm John and um, we've got a bit of a special one tonight as there's four women on the podcast. So first of all, we've got regular Erin. Erin, how are you doing tonight? Good, thank you. And well, it's it's not often that you're on these podcasts and, um, you know, your sex outnumbers us because it's normally... I'm quite enjoying it. I feel like we've got like a team and no one's going to laugh at me tonight. Yeah, we'll wait and see how They're the conversation not. goes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm milder than the other ones, to be fair, as you know. Um, but you are in good company tonight because we've got um, we've got Celtic supporter and regular contributor to a Celtic state of mind, Natasha Meikle. Natasha, how are you doing? Good, thank you. Happy to be here and talk to all these other lovely ladies about football. Yeah. Yeah, I like how you say like to talk to ladies and mess myself out. I have taken no offence to that. I'm not interested <laughs> anyway. You can take from that what you will, John. <laughs> but you really, you're just here because I don't know how to edit this. Yeah, nicely. Yeah, I'm just here to listen. <laughs> um, we've also got an Airdrie fan on, uh, Katie Robertson. Katie, thanks for coming along. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's it's, it's good to um, to do this, and um, you've obviously responded to a few of our tweets before so it was only fair that we got you on and um in good company and finally we've got the business manager at Falkirk Foundation Stephanie Dawson Stephanie thanks so much for coming along and how are you I'm good thanks thanks for having me first time on a podcast so we'll see how it goes yeah so that's um so there's two making their debuts in a podcast um but you'll all be fine um it's just a regular chat so first of all um what got you? What got you girls into football in the first place? Anyone? Uh, me, <laughs> me personally, I've always kind of, I've always liked football. Um, just always liked sport. Um, but just um, Airdrie, my home team. So, being from a family of Celtic fans, didn't get to go to Broomfield much as a kid. But uh, as a teenager, started going along there and just fell in love with the team. And thankfully, now my kids are now supporters. <laughs> Who wants to go next? <laughs> I'll, I'll go next. So obviously, um, when I was born, my I lived with my gran and my uncles. My uncles were only about seven and eight when I was born, so they used to take me out playing football with them. So I was playing football before I could probably even walk, to be quite honest. I was always playing with the boys at school. And it wasn't until really high school that uh, I got to play with girls and, and join a team, and then it just progressed from there, really. It's, and I never, never stopped. So, yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah, it's been a long time for, for me as well. Um, for as long as I remember, really, my dad got me into to football. Um, I'm a twin, and since we were young, my dad would take us to, to Celtic Park, um, much to my mum's dismay a lot of the time, I think, but she's kind of had to accept it now. Um, and you do, you just grow up supporting the team that your dad supports. So I remember how special and exciting it was as a child to go to the football with your dad, and I guess we've just continued that for the last... 20 plus years and it's been brilliant I'm grateful to him for getting me into football and into Celtic um, and from from a young age yeah my love of watching the game playing the game just 
just grew and yeah it's a massive part of my life now and I can't imagine it any other way. Mine was my dad as well he took me um, to Tawdry when I was quite young and I think don't think my mum was probably that impressed <laughs> and I think she probably thought I would really like it but I just loved it it was like it just me and my dad would go we were pretty poor to be honest through a lot of that time and you know, like nil nil draws, one all draws, but I just loved it. And then my, I've got a younger sister, not for her at all. She's been recent, a couple of, maybe about four years ago, she came to a Ross County game. She liked the lunch before and she liked to go in for a drink <laughs> after, but she said she's going to miss the 90 minutes in between next time, not for her. And we won as well. I just, like, sometimes I find it so mad when people are like, Oh my god, I absolutely hate football. What's well, like when the Euros and stuff are on? Some of those games, I thought, how could you hate this? It's brilliant. They don't know what they're missing. It's that emotion, that passion, that energy that you feel like the only football can give you. Mm-hmm. People, yeah, just don't know that they are missing out on that. I feel sorry for them. Like the excitement of like a late goal or oh. like Livingston, that ninety-fourth minute winner. Yeah, fans shouldn't have been on the pitch, whatever. But <laughs> it is unbelievable and. The equaliser going in on Sunday, just as well. Now you can go and you can get back to it. Mm. The like waking up in the morning, it's the weekend. What day is it? Where am I going? And then you see all your pals you can like normally see every week. It's great. It's really it's stru- good. It structures your life, doesn't it? It's like you're saying there, having it again on your weekends, you know where you're going. It structures your life. You think, right, on Saturday I'll be here, or on Wednesday I'll be going here, or and you sort of know your schedule and you know your diary around the fixture list. <laughs> yeah. That's why I find it hardest about COVID, I think, because that all just disappeared. And yes. for people at the North, like, oh, what are you doing at the weekend? And my first thought, right, who are we playing? Where are we going? Where am I? Like, where are you going to? And, oh, the international break is normally <laughs> when I would, I struggle with international breaks. Although I'm going to the Moldova game and the Israel game. But I, especially when I think there was just no real Scottish team to watch at all, I'd be thinking, what am I going to do? weekend it's it's like what four weekends a year but you'd still think I know so you plan your holidays go away on international (laughs) breaks so you don't miss a domestic game yeah I was saying that to someone this week and they said I don't think any other girls plan their holidays like that but that's how you have to organize things (laughs) so you can't do stuff like if you've got a midweek and you just like the fixture list come out the one thing that annoys me is that you don't know all the fixtures because how am I meant to plan things for me? It really stresses me out that you can't look at that. But Agreed. just when the fixtures come out, you think, oh, I'm going here this day and then I'll maybe make a weekend of that. It's just great. So nice to be back. No, my whole Saturdays revolves around football because my son plays football on a Saturday morning and then you obviously go to the football in the afternoon. So it's like during lockdown, I was totally lost. Didn't know what to do with myself. It's like sitting on a Saturday afternoon thinking, can't even watch football on TV. There's nothing to do. It's just glad to be back to all. Bundesliga and La Liga when they started because there was nothing else on. (laughs) Just great, especially because the English League, it's not as good, but match the day is back on. And there are like days now where it's like football every day of the week and it's brilliant. The World Cup next year as well, but not that happy about it being in December. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still hoping there was a way to take off Qatar, but it's not happening now. I think it's a bit late now. Um, to me, if you're bidding for a World Cup, it should be this, the summer months, like South Africa did and stuff. But we are where we are. Um, but I mean, 
those mu- I mean, Kate, you mentioned obviously last year, I mean, your son playing football on a Saturday and then yeah. he's going to football. That's taken completely away from both aspects. That must have been challenging as um, you know, for a parent to say, How on earth do I do this? Um, get through a Saturday, you know, and there's only so much Xbox or PlayStation that we man would Aye. play. Hundred percent, and for him, it, like football is his social life as well. Um, so when you're when you're not getting to see your friends and your teammates, they're not at school, obviously as well. They weren't training. It was it's just so sad for all the kids. And then you you do you you try to find something to do on a Saturday afternoon, and and there was nothing open. It, it really I found me out in the garden hitting shots and at loose and goals, but. Just to try and get a football fix in, but um, oh, we're just all glad to be back now and getting a wee bit of normality in our lives. We were lucky; we got to go to the um, the playoff semi-finals last year because we had season tickets, so um, we were able to go to that. So we got a wee bit of football in before the end of the season, but um, ugh, just it was just a horrible year for everybody, wasn't it? Yeah, I agree, because, you know, my job is I'm head of girls and women's football at Falkirk, so I run, you know, 12 teams, so my full weekend is is just games, you know, so Saturday mornings, watch the wee ones, then it's, you know, the men's first team, and then Sundays it's the same, and, and our women's team playing a Sunday, so it's just constant, so I, I remember the first weekend of lockdown, I actually was sitting in the house, and I'm like, what did I do? I, I've not had a Sunday off in years, you know, I've not, I don't know what to do myself. Did not. It was it was a long year, but since we came back, it's it's been great, and it's kind of like we've never actually left. To be fair, it's just slot right back in and back into the routine of games and you know cup games and seasons finishing and starting again and and stuff. So it's been great, really good to be back. That's how I felt before the game on Sunday. We went to the Roseburn and saw people that I've not seen in like eighteen months, but actually, it just felt like a normal Sunday away day mm-hmm. again. It was brilliant. Really yeah, good. it's good. It's getting back to your seat and seeing all the people that you've sat around next to and I've not, not been seen to them for so long. Yeah. Oh, it's it was I'm so going to my great going back, on Sunday. So great going back to it and, and seeing all the people that you've you've missed and everyone's back and in their seats again and just loving it. And then yeah, you're right by like, you know, half time it felt like we'd never been away. My dad had hospitality for a treat on hmm. Thursday and then we're back in our real seats on Sunday. So hopefully yeah. our pals who are our normal seat pals will be there. I know, it's, it's so just, funny, isn't it? Like what people have moved or they've not come back or they've not renewed and yeah, but thankfully our radio was the same. Quite emotional at the first game back. Because it is strange. And at one point I just thought, when will I do that again? I know. I know for me. I've never um, I've said before I'm not gonna ever moan about it. I'm not gonna moan about trains, I'm not gonna moan about the cold, I'm not gonna moan about rubbish games. I know. Never. I know. There's at some point, like during COVID, that you'd have taken a three-hour round away trip in the pouring rain to watch Celtic draw nil-nil with Ross County. I was like, yes, give me that. I would do it. I'd have gone to us lose four-one to Ross County. To be honest, <laughs> just want to see something. I've been to Edinburgh City, um, Hamilton in the Cup, quite good actually. Okay. As a Scotland Croatia, which was um, good, mm-hmm. but getting back to your own team is nice. Just your own stadium. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We can't even sit in our own seats because where our seats are, 
is um, where the players' COVID area is. So we've got Aww. like the like the, the players, the subs and things sitting in my seat. So I sit across the kind of stairwell, looking at them, thinking, "You're sitting in my seat, and I don't want you to be sitting there. I want to be sitting there." They're not paying for their tickets, are they? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking forward to going. Um, I mean, I'll let you in. I was at my um, Scotland game of yours. I was at the Czech game, um, but in and we appreciated the fact that it was just 12,000 12, because it sounded a bit more, but I'm looking forward to this Moldova game more because I'm getting to take my son to his first game. I'm going to meet up with my mum who first took me to football and my sister and her uh. two kids. It's just going to be a good family day um, all of all us together. And, you know, that's the sort of thing that, that you miss. And, you know, it's actually such a thing that I'm looking forward a lot more to a Scotland-Moldova game than I would have done pro- probably years ago. You probably just took, took it for granted back then. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely no taking being at a football game for granted now, is there? No. no. Uh, Stephanie, I want to touch um, on, um, you, you were touching on your job there. So Scott McGill, who arranged uh, for you to come on, so thanks again, Scott. Um, he asked, how is Falkirk's youth programme in terms of the women's game? Because controversially, men's um, team abolished it a couple of years ago. That's right, yeah. Years. So we'll, we'll not go into that, no. that subject. Um, well, probably Jamie Swinney, former um, po- um, podcast guest, will change all that. Yeah. Well, it's all looking positive. We've got we've got a couple of men's development teams coming in starting. So, but no, I was uh, I came in about five and a half years ago, and I was tasked by the current by the CEO at the time to build our women's program. So we had we had a women's team and maybe half a dozen young girls just just training really. So then you know I, that was kind of my job. So I kind of put everything into that, and then. I mean, in, in the past five years, it's just snowballed massively. We now have 190 female players, you know, 12 teams, um, got 27 coaches, and it's just, it's insane. You know, it's 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 really, really massive now in Falkirk, you know, and we've really got that reputation now of, of being the great place to be for females in the in the Fort Valley area. You know, and it's a, it's a massive team effort. You know, it's all the coaches and the parents and the players, and it's, you know, it's... I don't take a lot of credit for it because it's it's a massive team effort. But yeah, it's it's been a lot of hard work, but it's blood, sweat, and tears went into it. But um, we're really reaping the rewards now, especially with our our women's team that's that's established and playing in the championship south this year. So we've got aspirations to to reach SWPL soon. Not going to put a time limit on it, but soon. But yeah, so obviously we're still we're looking we're still looking to expand. You know, we can never have too many girls playing football. But if somebody said to me five years ago, you'll have nearly 200, I would have bit their hand off for it. So, yeah, really, really pleased with how it's gone so far. Not not finished yet, though. Still lots more work to do. That's, what that's ages all... does that go up from? What's your youngest? Um, we, are, we are from under sevens, every wow. single age group, right through to senior women. So we're, we're one of the only clubs in central Scotland with every single age group as well. So really proud of that yeah. as well. That's great. Yeah, no, it's it's good and we've a great bunch of players and, and loads of loads of great coaches. So yeah. Do you fantastic. struggle for clubs then for them to have kind of competitive fixtures against if there's not that many who have got all your age ranges? Yeah, it's hard. There's a lot of travelling involved. You know, we, we have to go to the kind of West region for, for one age group and then our under seventeens are or go through to Edinburgh. So it's a lot of travelling, but it's quite good where we are because we're quite close to kind of everywhere. You know, it's Edinburgh, Glasgow, you know, we're, we're kind of 
half an hour away from each. And, and the parents are so, so great, you know, and the girls just would play anywhere they were asked. So, you know, it's good. And it's good, it's good to play different people, you know. It's good to get out and seeing clubs and, and building those relationships with with clubs that, you know, we wouldn't, they're not on our doorstep. But now, you know, we're really good good partners with and, and friends with. So that's good. That's that's excellent. I mean, we we did a SWPL one preview at the um at the weekend there. It was interesting hearing, you know, Emma Hunter in particular. Um, I'm singling her because she was a ma- she's a manager of Aberdeen and the, you know, the journey they went through to get through to the SWPL. But and you touched on that. That's um a long term objective for Volker. What what league are you in just now? And we're in Championship South. So we we um moved in there in. 2018 and then obviously we start we played one game of the season and before COVID so we've kind of we've, we've only played half a dozen games in the past two years so it's been a long time coming for the for the girls but we're finally there finally made it <laughs> yeah good stuff and um, good luck with the, the journey up because I mean it's the SWPL is um you know, on my observations, I don't pretend to be an expert in women's football I'm far from it um, but from the outside looking in it's looking um it's looking healthy. This is what's going to be a bit more competitive this year. Um, and what's good is that team more more of the professional clubs are investing in the women's program. I mean, you think of not even just like your Rangers, Celtics, Aberdeen, Tibbs, etc. But you know, Hamilton are now in the top flight. Partick Thistle a little bit of fortune um, because of what happened to Warfare Farmington, obviously. But Partick um, and there's a lot of Dundee United. I mean, there's a lot of them now doing it, and it's it's really good to see. Yeah, it is, you know, and obviously it was it was awful when I heard about Foffer, you know, whenever growing up that was just always a team that was in cup finals and in the top league and it was really a shame actually and it just shows you, you know, it can happen to anybody. So we are just going to try and keep building the foundations and, and make sure we've got a strong base before, you know, we're, we're trying not to run before we can walk kind of thing. So if it takes longer than it than we plan, then that's fine. You know, we we're here for the long term and that's we're going to do it the right way. Obviously, a lot more interest is generated for the fact Scotland qualified um, for, well, first of all, Euro 2017, but it was really the 2019 World Cup in France that caught people's attention, especially when 18,000 went to Hamden to see them play against Jamaica. Now, the SFA have made this, it's a, it's a brilliant PR move from them, but it's also great recognition for the women, giving them the platform to play at Hamden on a regular basis, which I think is uh, which I think is tremendous. What's your um, girls' outlook on the um, the women's game in general? I think there's a lot of work to be done, but it's certainly moving in the right direction. And I think one of the biggest steps um, towards progress will be visibility. If we can start marketing the women's game and making it visible in the right ways, then that is how it's going to grow. And by that, I mean covered more readily on in the media on free to view channels bbc alba have been great for it this year let's get more onto and um, you know sort of more mainstream bbc scotland and um, make sure all the clubs have their own channels to promote their own women's game and um, celtic tv rangers tv aberdeen tv i think they all do it we need to have more of that and we need to let fans know how to watch these games far too often i'm seeing fans of the women's game messaging or posting on Twitter, messaging the clubs, asking how they watch the women's fixtures. Nobody would have to do that about the men's game. It would be so publicised. They would know exactly where they were watching it on any given weekend. So why, even for the you know recent Champions League bot qualifiers that we saw, I saw both you know, Celtic and Glasgow City fans 
asking where they could watch these games and that's to me where you know we're sort of let down in the women's game because that should be publicized everywhere everyone should know where those games are on attracting bigger audiences to the game and I think it is getting better we just heard today that Go Radio are having their own women's football show section on a Sunday as well which is good and we need more of these outlets to start covering the women's game um the podcast that i do um celtic state of mind obviously we focus on celtic but we've now recently started focusing on celtic women's team as well something that we have discussed in the past previously and now we're making sure you know from last season going forward that we're covering their fixtures too and we've really noticed that the sort of regular listeners and viewers of the show are really buying into it really buying into women's football, getting more involved, getting more invested. And that's the trigger. Once you get people invested in the women's game and the team, they start watching it, that grows on itself, and the women's game grows. So I think it's really important that we have good coverage um, in the media, in fan media, um, in the press, on the radio. Every, so, the, so the better coverage, the more the game will grow. And it's great. You know, it's enjoyable. It's good quality of football. It's... You know, if you support Celtic Rangers, Aberdeen, Hibs, Hearts, you know, if you support that team, if you support the men's team, why not support the women's team as well? It's just a person playing for the team that you love and support. It doesn't matter that they're different gender. Watch the game, see how they're doing, get behind them. Um, and I think we found a lot of people have been pleasantly surprised by how much they have got invested and have enjoyed the women's game. So I'd encourage anyone to to give it a go. I think clubs are trying a lot to push kind of their women's team and how well they're doing. And it helps if, I suppose, the team is doing well because it tends to build a little bit of the excitement and the interest. And I think it's probably just going to take time because traditionally people talk about football and everyone thinks men's football and people talk about, you know, men's football. People talk about the Scottish football team, the Scottish national team, and they mean the men's team. But why? when the women's team have done really great things. And I think it is getting better, but I do think coverage needs to be more readily accessible. So if you have, on a Sunday, if you've got sports scene, what is to stop BBC on whatever channel they've got putting on women's sports scene after that? You know, you might not get everyone watching it, but if you're kind of making an effort to push it by having it simply, you know, it starts right now, you will get people watching it. To be fair, BBC um, Scotland. Sorry, Erin, I was just um, but in there, but BBC Scotland have recently started putting um, women's football highlights after um, the main sports team one. That's a new thing. They oh, started they moved the time slot because it was quite late before, wasn't it? it? Was half past eight. It was only something. They only started in April when the women's football season restarted, and it was on for half an hour. Um, and it, they, Jane Lewis presenting and uh, Julie Fleet and them um, doing analysis, and they actually did it really well. It was only half an hour, but then you're only getting four games in that period. Um, and it's it's a start, it's a step in the right direction. But even little things, I mean, Natasha, you picked up on a couple about clubs doing more. So even little things like you click on a player to try and do a bit of research for podcasts and stuff, and there's nothing. Um, you, you just know the player's name and that's it. You know, you have to go through challenging avenues to do your research um, on these players and when you're trying to find out a bit more. I think it's getting better, but there's still a lot of work to do, as you rightly point out. I think sometimes the coverage just hidden away a little bit. I think when they first kind of started looking at it, it was on quite late at night because that was probably just the slot that was offered. You know, are people necessarily looking out for things like that and, you know, staying up for it? Maybe not. And players and individuals, I think, 
is an important thing to be promoting because people like people. People want to see, you know, what players are up to. Nice to see a little bit of their kind of, you know, personal situations, what stuff they're interested in. And clubs do that so often with their male team players because you have, you know, halftime if you're watching a game and, you know, during COVID when everyone was doing this, halftime interviews with all, you know, the different first squad players. Promote some of your female players who are probably, you know, doing great things and also probably have got proper jobs on the side of it. You know, are committing a lot of their time and effort to the club. The same amount, probably, a lot of them as the men's first team. And I think it's just maybe not recognised as much as it should be because if you want to have a women's team and you want women, you know, in football, you need to encourage that at a young level or it kind of just doesn't, you know, it doesn't last. It's really easy, I think, for teams to fizzle out if there's not anyone there to kind of keep it going. So it'd be nice to see, I think, a bit more promotion of the women's team, but also how people can get involved and what that actually does mean. Because I think a lot of people who might be interested wouldn't necessarily know where to start or what to do or what it actually involves, which is a pity because there's and there's lots of great female players who would be brilliant, you know, in terms of promoting the game and speaking about it. And I think it's maybe just not as accessible as it should be just now. Yeah, I think so. If you're going to give the girls, you know, these role models, and there certainly are plenty of role models of women's football at the moment, um, what they're going to do is they're going to want to copy that. And that's one of the things I really like at the moment um, that, you know, I do a lot of work with the Celtic women's team. And one thing that I really like is the feedback we get that the young girls are now looking at these players who are playing for Celtic and thinking playing football is actually a career possibility for me. It isn't just people's sons that can aspire to be a footballer. Their daughters can aspire to be a footballer too. And they're seeing that when they see the girls playing for, you know, professionally for some of the teams like Glasgow City, Celtic Rangers. And I think that's incredible. What we need to make sure is that these girls have the opportunity to then play football. And grassroots football is struggling everywhere, but particularly girls' grassroots football. So what we need to do, and I I know this is a lot easier said than done because this is the issue that affects every organisation right now, is make sure that there's properly funded opportunities for girls to participate in football. Uh, And we're not, you know, trying to say that all, you know, young girls are eventually going to be a professional footballer. It's the same for young boys. But having the opportunity to play sport is beneficial in so many ways for young girls, not just, you know, to make a potential career out of it. But having the opportunity to play sport, you know, for health, well-being, socialising is so important. So we need to make sure that those opportunities are there, properly funded and accessible to the young girls. Do you find, Stephanie, that the first, the men's first team are quite good in terms of kind of support or is it quite separate? I know a lot of clubs do keep it quite separate. I suppose it just depends on what the kind of setup is. Yeah, so so obviously our women's team is quite new because obviously, you know, we've, we've had the last couple of seasons and updated. So we're, we're just kind of starting out and we're, we're doing baby steps in regards to, you know, the joint promotion on the men's side and the women's side. But, you know, Falkirk fans are so passionate. You know, before I worked there, I didn't really get it. But now it's just everything revolves around that Saturday afternoon and now Sunday afternoon with the women's team. And, we, and I've noticed even in the last, I mean, we've only played three games this season, but, you know, the comments on social media has been really positive for the women's 
stuff and and then you know we, we get a lot of tweets you know and, and congratulation messages and, and a lot of interaction on on the posts that you know the men's Facebook put up and they retweet our stuff from the women's side so it's good it's getting there it's it's very it's very small just now but we've deliberately done that to kind of build it up you know starts off slow and see how it goes and and then go from there but you know and in regards to you know the younger the ones as well you're saying Natasha as well like we we make sure our senior players are coaches at younger age groups as well so we so we've made a point of doing that I know a lot of clubs do that and it's I really advocate for that as well because because it shows that the girls themselves that you know are under sevens you know their coach is one of our women's players and they love that so they come and see her on Sunday and they play they play themselves in the morning and then go in the afternoon and see their coach play and it's great you know, it's really good. So it's just trying to get that publicity out there, you know, and then and even at our summer camps, seeing the girls turn up with, you know, Joe Love on their tops or Aaron Cuthbert, you know, it's brilliant to see because growing up, I, you know, I didn't really have that. You know, we had, I had Julie Fleeting growing up. She was my hero, but now it's, there's so many more and it's, it's great. You know, quite jealous actually wishing, God, I wish I could still put a name on the back of my top, but you can, by the way. Great, you know. My boss says this all the time, you're never too old to put a name and number on your shirt. You can do it. I agree. Go for it. Okay, I'll go for it. I'll go for it. Name and number every season, no problem. Fine. <laughs> I've always went with my own name and number because last time I got someone else's, um, Russ Anderson left for Aberdeen the day my top uh, left for no, Sunday the day my top arrived. Suggest that you think there's a chance that if we're short one week, you're getting on. <laughs> no, you can't have your own name and number. And you've got to pick your player carefully and you sometimes have to wait until after the transfer window slams shut to get your shirt printed done. I'm holding off on my Lewis Ferguson top until after I don't do it so first. much now in my 40s, to be fair. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah. did you say your, your son plays? Yes, he does. Yeah, he plays does for the community club. Do they have, you know, what's the girls' kind of team situations, opportunities? Are there many they, friends who play? A, they've got a girls' team. See, to be, to be honest, I don't know a huge amount about women's football. I've kind of, the kids have never really got into it. So we we do football as a family. Um, but the, the Airdrie Community Club do have a girls' team. And I believe the Airdrie ladies' team um, there is a couple of girls come and coach the, the girls, um, which is really good. Um, it's just the, the I think the girls teams actually a lot bigger than it used to be. There's and they obviously play in like kind of mixed age groups, I believe. Is it like they kind of maybe like two or three age groups, whereas like the boys obviously will play in their year group. Um, but they no, they seem to be getting on really really well. The girls, it's growing and growing and growing. Do they still play football at break time in school and stuff? Do the girls get involved? Or because well, I'm hoping to, that now my, my daughter, yeah. um, she's just went into P7, and this is the first season. She she's a, a cheerleader at Airdrie, but obviously they're not been able to do that for the last um, couple of years, well, year and a half. And um, so she used to come to the football under duress because why does she want to go and watch football and this year this is the first season she's actually been interested and she's been saying um at lunchtime and things her and her friends are going up to the pitch and starting to play football so we might get an Airdrie's lady player out of her yet look out for um for her making a pro- progress in the women's game um any women coming through and making an impact would just be fantastic um the other john who co-hosts as well this podcast um just talking about the coaching side of things, what what can be done to ensure that women are treated more fairly in terms of becoming involved in men's games as managers, coaches? 
I don't think that just applies to women getting in the, the men's game, which is obviously very hard. There's not a, a female coach in the men's game at all, which something needs to be broken down. But even when you look at SWPL, there's only two female managers um, in Emma Hunter and uh, Debbie McCulloch. And even if you look in SWPL too, there's not many female managers there. I think it's um, a couple. I'd need to check the facts. But even it's good to see men getting involved in the women's game, getting those jobs. But And you want the right person to, to get the job. It shouldn't be about that that person should get just because um, she's a female. It should be about who's the right person for the job. It should be in merit. But do you think there needs to be more done to get more women involved in, in terms of coaching? I think so. Um, and I think there are more initiatives we're seeing now with women-only football coaching courses as well, which is quite an interesting development. But I think, you know, we've done some studies into this. I'm on the board of Scottish Women in Sport as well. It's something we've looked at is lack of female coaches in general. And one of the things when it comes to football is, you know, only 100 years ago, women were actually excluded from participating in organised football. You know, that ban was actually only rescinded in 1971. So there starts the barriers. So many coaches are ex-players and women's football is in its infancy compared to male football. So I think we will gradually see changes, you know, as more ex-professional female footballers then go into coaching. And um, what Stephanie's described, I think, is great because you're seeing the women's team's players there then have another career route in coaching by coaching the younger girls. And I think that's a great sort of career path and sort of getting established there. But again, this is all relatively new and it's in its infancy because of where women's football is at. Um, and it'll increase when we start to see more and more visible role models. You know, people like Emma Hayes out there doing incredible work and more will be coming up behind her. But, you know, that's not just football either. It's I think society's attitude in general towards um, women coaches, I think. You remember the reaction when, you know, a few years back now, Andy Murray appointed a, a female tennis coach mm-hmm. um, in Resmo, And the reaction was, well, why on earth would he do that? Why would he hire a female tennis coach? And it just points to the sort of lingering bias that exists that some people simply can't get their head around the fact that the best person for a job might not be a man. So I think we've got to overcome those sort of biases first. And I think we need to let the women's game grow. Some of these ex-professional players start to retire, go into coaching, then start their coaching careers. And I think we're just at the at the sort of curve of that at the moment. And we're going to start to see a lot more of it. And yeah, not before time either. I think it's a time thing with that as well, to be honest. And it's the same in lots of professions, which is just there's a lot of things you can actively do. But some of it is just kind of waiting for things to filter up and hopefully you know, you've got players who are now looking at retiring, getting into the game, that will massively increase the number of women who are in those positions. And hopefully then it is looked at on simply, you know, are they the best person for the job? Andy Murray's brilliant for things like that. There was a really good interview so where good. someone says, oh, he's the first, um, you know, whatever, to make semi-finals, he's the first men's player. So good. Well done, Judy. She brought him up, right? <laughs> yeah. I think, I think he seems to really get it that mm. even in tennis and everyone's grown up watching women play tennis but even in tennis it you know you would you look at it and you would think oh it's not that much discrimination there but actually I think sadly there probably is in all sports even sports that people think oh well women are pretty equal I don't know if that is the case unfortunately and you do hear stories that suggest it's not yeah 
Yeah, same. I mean, I'm not helping matters because my coaching team for our women's team is all men, so I'm not. I'm not helping that. But I think it's it's not because we. Di- I didn't want a female on board. It was because you know there was just not many women with with those qualifications. You know, and going back to your point, Natasha, on female only coaching courses, I did one. I did see a licensed female only and it was amazing I cannot rave about it enough it was oh the environment was incredible those five days being in a group with you know all females it was excellent you know it was was so much more relaxed and we had each other's backs and you know it was very supportive and and I think I I mean I'm not sure I'm I'm just talking from my own experience but I don't know if that's a barrier you know because we run coaching courses at, at Falkirk Stadium and you know it's you're lucky if there's one female on it to the 25 mm-hmm. men you know and it's very intimidating when you need to stand up and and lead your session for for an example and you've got 25 men that think they're god's gift to football staring at you so i would i would advocate for for way more female only coaching courses definitely and i think that would massively boost the amount of people that would do it definitely when i applied for the referee course um, I got an email not long after saying we're trying to encourage women to do it because the numbers are just so poor. So actually, um, all the women's the course cost, and it, it's not a huge amount of money, but you know it's not cheap either. The course cost is covered for all women oh, yeah. on the course this year. Yeah, um, yes, we had about do. half maybe women's men, and it was really good because it did feel you know you didn't turn up on the first day thinking there's gonna be a lot of men who are going to say why are you here? What would you know? you don't know anything about this and actually everyone was nice but you do have that kind of worry when you first turn up and you think you know are people going to say what are you doing here but everyone was great and there was about a 50 50 split but that was really nice little treat you know, my little email saying yeah they were just really trying to encourage women to do it get into it and I guess they saw that as hopefully an incentive to push it on and it was actually the course was really really good it's really interesting mm. we I do quite a lot of kind of contentious football work so I find it really useful because you cover the rules in a lot of detail and actually it did not at any point you know you didn't at any point think you know people think I'm wrong because I'm a woman you know people thought you were wrong thought you were wrong but it wasn't ever I don't think felt as though you know you shouldn't be there or your opinion was less valued or anything and that was really good and I think that's probably something the her game two campaign on Twitter is really good yes. for this there's Brilliant. a really actually like quite upsetting video with women just putting up signs and stuff that's been said to them. And I suspect mm-hmm. most of us have heard most of those things. Yeah, I've watched that video. Why are you here? Yeah. So and much it of it, yeah. If you're also a woman who wants to put on a bit of makeup because you obviously don't know anything about football you've got makeup on, apparently. Um, because yeah. you fancy the that. players. That's the yeah. usual one. <laughs> They're all far too young for me. I definitely don't fancy anything. <laughs> Alan Russell, however. But no, oh, it's, it's, as you see, yeah, I like Alan Russell. We do like Alan Russell. My mum it's not keen. Because she's heard, but would you like Alan Russell? But that's the thing, like, no, it's not. Oh, you're here to impress men. This doesn't impress men. They think it's weird. Yeah. It's, like, I've, I've done dating apps and stuff, and, you know, you think, and I've been who are not into football at all, and I was kind of like, needs to be someone who likes football, so that kind of at the weekend, they kind of get it. Because my mum doesn't understand why we go and sit on a bus for two hours to trips to Kilmarnock in the pouring rain. She just can't understand why we do that. So, I think it's quite important. And then, you know, you'll say stuff like, I think they quite, they quite like you to like football in theory, but someone who goes to every game home and away, no, that's weird, because that's what they do with their part. No. Like, it doesn't, it really doesn't work like that at all. Yeah. I think how I feel, I get, you, you're a woman who likes football and Deirdre. 
Because, <laughs> like, how can, how can you enjoy that? I was like, well, <laughs> that's my team, I'm afraid. But at least you're not going to get accused of glory hunting. <laughs> well, no, they're definitely not glory hunting. <laughs> but that's the thing, it is, you know, you just, well, why shouldn't I like it? You know, why does anyone like anything that they, you know, there's not men's things and women's things. No. You know, I've got, I think women are held to a higher standard as well. You can't just be a football fan. You know, you need to prove it. A friend yeah. of mine was saying the, the other day that some, that she was talking to someone and she's saying, oh, you know, I really like football. You know, I'm sport Celtic. And their sort of response was, oh, do you, though? Name the first team then. And she was yeah. like, never, never, never would any guy who said that he was into football or a certain team be asked to do that. Never. And I think for some reason, like you guys have touched on, there's still an element of or a section of people that are surprised when a girl likes football. And so those people, I would just say, you know, if you're in a football stadium, look around you. There are so many women and young girls there for exactly the same reason that the men are to enjoy the game and to support the, the club that they love. I think an example of um, some of the abuse women still get in the modern day, um, Emma Dodds, um, who's a fantastic presenter, um, on Premier Sports and, well, I don't watch Rangers TV, obviously, but she's obviously in the reputation from that as well. But a troll um, who claims to be a Rangers fan um, put in women shoehorned into men's football simply to tick the PC boxes is rotten no matter um, who they support, stick to women's game and geese and peace. This is from someone who doesn't have their own face as a profile picture and it's a, yep. you know, a yep. fake ID, you know, it's... Um, a name that doesn't link to their actual real name. This is that's another issue for Twitter. But I mean, this this is the thing when it comes to. Um, I mean, if a, if a man makes a mistake, like, the example I'm trying to think of here, Chris Kamara. Remember the video where he missed mm. the um, the Portsmouth player getting sent off. Everyone thought it was hilarious at the time. Michelle Owen did the same thing last season, the game, and she got ridiculed because she was a woman. Mm. <laughs> I mean, why not just laugh in the fact that it was funny? She forgot and have to go a wee bit further because it's a woman. It's it comes down to what we've been saying, isn't it? Is that women are held to a higher standard than men when it comes to, to sport. And some of the female pundits are exceptional. Michelle's exceptional. Alex Scott, Emma Hayes, when she analyses the game, it's absolutely spot on. It's brilliant. You know, they're not asking everyone to agree with everything they're saying. You know, it's football. It's going to be about differences of opinions and it's great to have a debate. But if you don't agree with what they're saying just because they're a woman or you can't listen to them because they're female, then that says more about the person saying that than it does about the, the pundits. You know, you're actually just choosing to miss out on some really great analysis and some really great content. And we've got to, you know, applaud these women, Emma Dodds, Alex Scott, for sort of leading the way for women brilliant. in sports media because they're doing a great job. And only by them doing this sort of thing will we begin to normalize women in sports media and make it easier for the next generation coming up but some of some of the things that they have to to put up with is is sad is i saw the post about alex scott getting the football host job my first thought was that's amazing my second thought was oh my god the abuse she is going to get and yeah of course it was get back to the kitchen what would you know Mm. oh totally professional footballer that's played at an incredible level who's got great analysis of the game she She's perfect also, like, for that I, I really like Dan Walker, but I'm not sure he's actually like, great. Right? Yeah. Like, I don't she, think he's got I mean, anything on her. No, like I don't really... I just don't... I don't get how, as a man who... And this is the other problem. As soon as someone says to them, but do you not have like... What if someone spoke to your sister like that or your mum? And then suddenly they think it's a problem because men are only capable, it seems, of respecting women if it's women that mean something to them. I find that bizarre as well. A woman on the internet has a deserving of some respect from you as your sister. 
Absolutely, if you want to say you don't think she's that brilliant. There are female pundits I don't think are particularly great, but there are male pundits I think are horrendous. Mm-hmm. I, like, Chris Boyd is atrocious. And I can't believe that genuinely there is, there are men who would rather watch Chris Boyd than watch any woman talk about football because how dare they get back to the kitchen and make a sandwich. It's I'm ridiculous. <laughs> Just absolutely <laughs> mad to me. But you You'll never you'll never be able to get through to these people and that's what's frustrating because I've done it before and I've tried on Twitter when you know people leave me comments, the same sort of comments that we're talking about and the vast, vast majority will just ignore it and there'll be one every so often that gets to me and I'll think, no, wait a minute, I'm going to... And then when I you do engage, you have to just you engage, you're like, no, like there's no point engaging because it is literally like talking to a brick wall. You could argue that the grass is green and someone will tell you why that is the worst opinion they've ever heard. So, you know, once you get to that stage, there is no point engaging. Just block it, move on. It's quite sad actually when you get to that point and you're just like, you know what, block, don't care. And if you've nothing better to do than probably sit in your mum's bedroom abusing women you've never met on the internet, like, yeah. great, brilliant. Exactly. Yeah, Uh, yeah, because I doubt any of them would come up to me in a pub and say those things to me. And if they did, I can guarantee that there is half a dozen men who would turn around and tell them exactly what they thought of it. Exactly. 100%. It's just, and it's always, as you say, it's always a faceless account who's got something to say, and it's probably a fake account as well. Yeah, Yeah, 100%. No question about that. Um, Chris wants to ask you, Natasha, if your Sky Sports appearances are worth the ridiculous hassle that you seem to be getting for doing them. But to be fair, it's not just you that gets them, because Paul John Dykes gets um, you know, the fame hungry look at your hair type of thing as well. Do, do you know what it is? Do I you, think, you have um, nice hair in like football? I know, <laughs> <laughs> I know outrageous. Um, do you know what the thing is? Like when we're doing our own content, when we're doing our Celtic stuff and putting it out to you know Celtic fans it's all you know so plain sailing and everybody likes it or talks about it or you don't get any abuse because you're talking Celtic fans about Celtic and football and it is 99% lovely but the minute you go into mainstream media and it's been Sky it's been BT, BBC whatever it is whatever platform the minute you go into mainstream media um, especially as what you know on one half of the Glasgow divide and you put yourself out there with an opinion the other half is going to slaughter you you know, they're, they're going to hate it. They're going to hate everything about you, everything about you, what you're saying. You know, it doesn't have to be the most controversial opinion in the world. And they go off. It's it's honestly, the first time I did Sky, um, Charles Patterson said to me, it was like, get ready for the comment section. And I was like, oh, you know what? It'll be fine. No, I'm a girl on social media. I'm probably used to it. No, like this was next level. And... Now I kind of think, do you know what? Do I enjoy doing it? Yes. Um, do we need more women to be doing this to try and normalise it? Yes. If I'm not going to do it, then why should I let the trolls win? Um, no. So, yeah, I'll keep doing it. Um, if people want to send trolling comments, then fine. I'm more likely to sort of laugh at them and send them into the group chat as a screenshot than, than reply to them or give them the attention that they're looking for, because that's what it is. It's attention-seeking. Um, and I'll focus on the fact that, you know, the vast majority of people are super supportive and send great messages and are encouraging and like what we're doing. And I'll focus on that rather than the 
loud minority of people who troll behind anonymous accounts. And the sooner that social media platforms start to take some responsibility for this, including making it a requirement to have ID to open a social media page, the better. The sooner that comes in, the better. I think so as well. I don't, I don't think that means you need to have, you know, your own personal details and things on show, but I think mm. Twitter should know who you are behind that. Yeah, I can see why, for certain reasons, people, you know, keep certain, you know, information private and photographs and people's jobs and things. Absolutely fine. But someone needs to know who you are, because some of the stuff I've seen and since then, I presume people have well seen what's gone on with Rangers fans this week. And there's been a mix. And to be fair, there has been a better mix than I expected of Rangers fans condemning it quite strongly. Yeah. There's also been a lot of general um, point scoring, I would say, in very much clubs saying, oh, well, well, let's just remember that everyone should get their own house in order before we start saying it's only one club's problem, because it's not true. But there has been a worrying amount of people jumping on with very similar comments, saying they don't see anything wrong with it. And how yeah. do you then, and they know that on Twitter, there is that's never going to come back to them. No, you know, And then... If it looks as though they're getting any abuse, close that account, set up a new one. And that's what you get a lot. You know, I've blocked people who have set up other accounts mm-hmm. to send me abuse. Like, what are these people going on in your life? Like, do you not have a job? Well, I don't know these people do have jobs, to be honest. No. But just bizarre to me that this is what they would like to spend, you know, their weekends, their evenings doing. Read a book, get a hobby. It's wild. It's it? I can't even get into that mindset. I just don't understand it. And thankfully, never, ever will, because that will never be me. For a few months, I found it really hard and it was like mm. really difficult. And I just started blocking people. And it's actually really satisfying because, to be honest, you're right. There is no point. They don't listen. They're not going to change their minds. They don't care. Yeah. And actually, they find it quite entertaining. And just block. And then they want the bite, they want the response. Yeah, yeah. They want that attention of you replying to them that they've affected your day because obviously everything else in their life is meaningless compared to getting a reaction of a random girl on Twitter. So yeah, yeah so when I blocked, I just blocked you. And what are you going to do for the rest of your boring, empty day now? So I think, but I think it is ridiculous that you have to spend so much time. I I mean, there's a lot of blocked accounts I've got, and you just think, well, why should I have to do that? Why can't you know? If you don't have anything nice to say, why you scroll past? I see plenty of things on Twitter right. that I think are a pile of nonsense. I just yeah. think I'll just scroll past that. I'm going to wade into this. And sometimes I think it's fair enough if you think, well, actually, my opinion is X, Y, Z. But they're never capable of saying, this is my opinion. It's always, here's a stream of absolute rubbish. And this is this must be right because I've said it. Yeah. Oh, and you're a woman, so what would you know? Then, um, just as um, flip the subject... Um... Um, go go off um, into a different level here. Just when we're talking about social media, we had the unfortunate scenario of um, Caroline Flack taking her own life last year. Now, she was not someone that bothered me in any way. I didn't watch any of the stuff that she was on. I know you would have heard, obviously. But, you know, a lot yes, of people sir. jumped in the a lot of people jumped in the whole bandwagon with spreading the be kind message. Now, that lasted about a fortnight. The things that go through my mind are where were you all when she posted the original message two months previously when she was getting shit off the um, the media? And what's and what's been done since then? Social media has got far more toxic and worse since then. And I don't mm-hmm. think the media have improved much either. Um, and it's it's real it's real annoying. Stephanie and Katie, what's um your your thoughts on the whole um 
anonymity, etc. on them Twitter? I kind of find that most of the, the people who are spouting the be kind message are generally the ones that are the worst at trolling folk. Um, the amount of messages I've had privately and you see them on Twitter every day giving a be kind, be nice to people, putting their wee memes up here and then they're sending you messages privately. It's just, or, or it's like a WhatsApp group who are just, they all kind of gang on, gang up on you. It's, um, they're the worst. It's just, it's just horrendous. I just, um, I just don't understand, as you say, why people spend their day doing that. If they get nothing better to do with their time, go for a run, go for a walk, chill out, get a glass of wine, man. Do you say your daughter's P7, Kitty? Yes, she is, yeah. So now, when I was in P7, phones weren't a thing. When I started no. secondary school at a Nokia 3310, I cannot imagine how horrendous secondary school must be with Instagram like yeah is it quite stressful for you my kids have got an instagram account each um but they've only got family and their their own friends um they've both got snapchat but again i kind of watch who they've, they've added on snapchat and things i am absolutely dreading when they go to high school because i know friends I whose kids have had private messages and things because they go to high school and everybody wants to add them on their social media and um the the abuse that some girls get and uh, boys as well mm. um i'm absolutely dreading this because it's you just it, if they don't talk to you that's the worry if my kids are really good at coming down and saying if something's worrying them but if they don't talk to you or they they kind of clam up then you think how am i supposed to help that you and you can't protect them from social media for the whole life. So you've got to mm-hmm. let them get out there and see these things. But at the same time, it's a big, massive worry for me. I just um not looking forward to high school with my daughter. My son, he's he's second year now and it's kind of been all right for him. But girls are a whole different ballgame from boys. <laughs> my I dad imagine. will sometimes text me and say, oh, saw the horrible things on Twitter, sweetheart. And I'm 30, and I'm like, my dad should be seeing people. Like, right? That's horrendous. I can't. I want to be like, my dad is not happy with this. Leave me alone. Yeah, it's but trying it to like, you know, because my, you'll be the same. My friends and stuff all want to be like, I am going to reply to him, and I'm like, no, don't ignore it. It's what you want. So they're like, you can't say that, and I was like, ignore it, ignore it. I'm ignoring it. You ignore it. But it isn't fair for your family and friends to have to read some of the things people post. I think Katie, you just have to. I don't know. It is really hard. I, I guess really just. I suppose hopefully it is just about maintaining kind of you know just come and tell me, and you uh, know it can always be fixed. It's fine. I think. I know. And I, I think that's all you can do. <laughs> when they're in their bed, I don't let them keep their phones in their bedrooms at night time. So when they're in their bed, I do have a wee look through to see what kind of messages are getting sent or what kind of messages are they're they're sending yeah. as well. Um, and I'm quite fortunate as well that I'm I kind of chat to their their friends' parents. So mm-hmm. if any of them find anything, then they're quite quick to say, "Oh, by the way, we've saw this message," or. Um, or the, or is, is Molly okay because she was getting a bit of a stick at school from this or so it's, I think it's all about communication isn't it it's like just letting them know that you can you can fix anything as long as they come and tell you. Do you notice it with the the young girls that you're coaching Stephanie some of them are kind of getting to the age of the internet and it being 
I guess, quite a big deal. Yeah, oh God, yeah. If I could ban group chats, I would, because it's just the subject of so many... I can't believe we didn't have this one. I'm actually glad we didn't, looking back. Oh, no, same. I know, I know. because I always try and say to the players, you know, we're open and honest, you can come speak to the coaches, there was anything bothering you. And nine times out of ten, it's, she says such and such in a group chat, you know, and it's like, oh, man, I can't deal with this anymore. Um, it's But it's just the pressure of if you're not in a group chat, you're excluded, you know, and if you don't have an Instagram, then it's, you know, you're, you're odd one out. So, and we've actually, you know, made our senior players sign a social media code of conduct, you know, that we won't rise to, to trolling comments, especially for if it's related to the club, you know, we won't bad mouth the club on social media in any way so that's that's been something I never thought we'd have to do but you know this day and age we've, we've sadly had to do it but yeah it's so much pressure I mean when I played football I would never even think about putting makeup on or or whatever and now the girls some of them feel they have to do their makeup and I see this at the gym it's crazy how can you also do with makeup on yeah it's just it's just crazy I'm like I mean you look broken but oh yeah like I feel disgusting when I leave the gym as it is, but if your makeup was all your, oh, even worse. Man, yeah, I would not look like that if it was me. No, I. I, I just don't well enough of that. To be honest, in men's teams as well, though, because not every you're not going to have 25 players be equally best friends with everyone. And I spent there is a mix of you know players coming in, players leaving, and all of this. You know, it's quite a transitory profession so far as you know, move around quite a bit. And I suspect the men's game has it as well, unfortunately, where people feel left out, you know, maybe not part of things, excluded. There's just, I think, a perception that women are very nice to each other, so it must just be a problem there. But actually, I think it's probably, you know, football in general. I think there's a lot that clubs can look to do to make fans and players and everyone involved at the club feel part of something. Because I think that's when people start sending messages like that. It's when they have insecurities in their own life. And so if you can kind of involve people, I think it makes a big difference. I think the worst ones are the ones Social media is so positive, you know. Sorry, there's so many positives about social media and it's just, it's it's those wee negative comments, you know. We'll read 99 positive comments and it's the one negative that always bothers you. Instead of just focusing on the good ones. Oh, it is. It's the ones that for days you're like, oh, that guy said that. Yeah. I would have said this. Or you can't really come back a couple of days later and you block them already. It's really annoying. Yeah, One of the positive things about social media is we're able to create platforms like this um, and, and promote good content, and it's been a, a great podcast. So I'll round off with the usual um, slow fire questions. You knew that some of these were coming. So one by one, in any order, what's your favourite tipple? I'm a Pinot Grigio girl. <laughs> oh, good shout. Gin tonic for me. I like Prosecco. I'm having one just now because I'm I know so, I'm jealous. Yeah, I'm kind of on my holidays. <laughs> I'm a bit of a lightweight, so I'm kind of Smirnoff Ice, but kind of Brazers type. One of our regulars, Chris, likes Smirnoff Ice as well, so you're in with him there. Smirnoff Ice, Brazers, Pinot Grigio, 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 Pinot you could imagine drinking that in your run. Um, so your favourite food at the football? I want macaroni pie. I can't believe I've not got one. This is becoming a problem. Six games I've been to, not a sight of macaroni pie have I had. Sold out. Oh, we don't have any. 
So we've got, I won't get one at Petology probably, so we've got Motherwell now on the 11th. That's it, it's all in Motherwell. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the Diddles, big pie. I'm definitely not not the Celtic ones for sure. They are terrible. Um, St Johnston always have a good selection. I'll maybe I'll maybe say McDonald's. Celtic not got some fancy like I've seen fancy burgers and stuff there. You got brioche buns at Celtic. There used to be a Domino's, so that was excellent. Um, but yeah, not a great food selection. I'd have to say. I'm a kind of cup of tea, basically the football. But my kids assure me that the diamond pies are really good. And you get a really good pie at Aloha, <laughs> but it's not something I usually eat. What's a pie at Falkirk like, Stephanie? I really like them. There's this, this you know, notorious joke that the, the crust always sticks to the tin, but I've never experienced that, to be fair. And the Empire Biscuits at Falkirk Stadium are excellent, to be fair. I'm going to plug those. Oh, now my friend Julia loves an Empire Biscuit, and she's quite sad about Killy's departure because of that. So we can get Falkirk in a cup. Yeah, indeed. And a pie that doesn't stick to the the case. That's all you need. Exactly. Can't beat it. What's your respective best moments as a football fan? Um, For me, Tom Rogic goal against Aberdeen. Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. I wanted to get that in there early, but it has to be that cup final goal, 92nd minute. Secure the treble, unbeaten treble, which I don't think we'll ever see again. So, I, I mean, when that hit the back of the net, it was just incredible. What a way to win it. Sorry, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bad. <laughs> um, for me, uh, there's there's obviously not a huge amount of success as a Neardy fan. But um, last year in the, the playoff semi-finals, when we scored two mega late goals against Cove Rangers to get put through to the final against Morton, and it was mainly because I got to share that with my son and watching his emotions, and he was he was kind of jumping. We were watching it on the stream, and he was um, jumping about the living room, and he's going, oh, Mum, I feel sick. I don't know what to do. I can't sit down. Just waiting in that final whistle. And it was just watching his passion for his team that it just was absolutely brilliant. That feeling when you're waiting for a whistle, 30 seconds oh. can feel like an hour, your heart is just going. No, no, I know. I think the 2014 Cup, for me, probably, but other than that, the two, the really big ones that stand out, the 2-0 Ibrox on the Tuesday night in the Cup replay was probably the best night of my entire life. It was, it was unbelievable. Like- I was in tears. It was amazing. Some of them was really good photo of me and my friend Becky, both in tears, looking <laughs> in the stands. It was just incredible because... We hadn't had a brilliant season and everyone had written us off. And we wanted, it was, oh, it was so good. And then actually, probably as well, because this was quite close to COVID time and it was quite kind of emotional, the 4-3 win at Killy when we were 1-0 down and then managed to scrape extra time, went 2-0 up and then I think 3-2 down. And I was like, there's no chance this is it over because we're not going to score one, let alone two. We get a penalty. And I was like, right, hang on, keep it tight. We're getting to penalties. And then suddenly we won. And it was it was one of those ones that went into total blur. And I think because it happened quite quickly to football stopping, that was a that was a great one to be at. That was the craziest game of football I've ever been. That's the last Don's game I was at. Last game I was at before. I didn't, it was one of those where you get home and you don't sleep because you're kind of like, what even happened in this game? It, it, it was mad, but really, really good. And then we had, in my head as well, I always think Samirin 
was before that because that one just really sticks out. But actually, it was similar was afterwards, and we got through the cup and well, Celtic. But that was a really good run. I think just because it was kind of like pretty close to football all stopping, you've enjoyed that night. You know, it was a Wednesday night. It was pretty horrendous weather. We had been looking so bad all season. And it's just, you know, for so much of it, you thought you were right. So that was probably the highlight of that season. And it is just one that I really remember as just being an absolute wild game. Stephanie, what about you? Well, I was trying to avoid this question because the last three or four seasons haven't been great for Falkirk. So, but I think probably going back to, I think, 15, 16 season and we beat Rangers 3-2 at home. I'm sure it was a Friday night and it was two late goals and just the stadium just erupted, you know. I think it was late. I think it was Bob McHugh scored and it was just, it was just phenomenal. You know, what a great win. And then, kind of, sadly, it's kind of been downhill after that. But we're optimistic for this season. It's going well so far. So, um, what's the favourite um, football strip from your respective club? Because we've, we've been doing a few polls in this recently for this season. But what's, um, in terms of your girls, your favourite ones? Mine's, um, mine's was the, the, the Mark Allison one, where they got the... the Mark Allison's face on the the strip. I think it was 2016. Mark was a an Airdrie fan who sadly passed away with pancreatic cancer. But um, the final two years of his life, he basically he raised a phenomenal amount of money for charity, just doing different things. And he he kind of just that was that was his bucket. He done a load of things on his bucket list, and while he was doing it, he raised money for charity. And I just think it was just such a great way for them to honour him after he's, he passed away. Yeah. Um, I would probably say uh, again going back to 2015 there was a white and gold away top for Falkirk that was really nice for it and that the one the cup final. yeah that wasn't a great game but that, that top was just I just think it's really classy just with the white and gold quite quite plain and it's really nice we've, we've had a lot of nice ones since actually but that one that's one that stands out we had quite a smart one I'm trying to remember what year it was it was kind of like red like big checks. Remember, it was JDC with a sponsor. 1990. Is that 1990? That's yeah. quite smart. And then all the strips around, I would say, then were not bad. The one that James Madison scored his free kick in is yeah, nice. The pinstripes, yeah. Did not like the striped socks. Reminded me too. I mean, I love Christmas, but don't be putting a candy cane on a sock. This <laughs> season's away strip is very nice. I haven't got mine yet. My dad picked up for me. So I'll be debuting it on Sunday at Tawdry for Ross County. It's really nice. I did think that we might go for a nice white and red one now that Hamilton are finally gone, but sadly not. Seemed like the opportunity. We've actually had some pretty decent strips the last few years. We've been quite lucky. That blue thing we had, hideous. But other than that, we've done quite well on strips. I did ask me quite a nice strip, I think. They tend to be decent quality. Sponsor is not upside down and they don't peel off, so I would say that's a good start, <laughs> isn't it? What's well, been your favourite away ground? Mine's is um, I've got two actually. Uh, I like going to Oakle View um, and Gayfield. Just I love the terracing. I just love the atmosphere that you get in old-fashioned football grounds. The terracing, you're so close to the pitch, you can. You can hear the players shouting at one another. It's just you feel as if you're right there. You can almost smell the sweat. 
I would probably go for um, Dunfermline just because it's, it's the Derby game, isn't it? It's, you know, standing behind the goal at East End Park and then just the atmosphere is great, you know, it is. But I also I also quite like um, Partick Thistle's ground. We've not been there in a couple of seasons, but I quite like that one as well. Just, just it's quite nice. Like you said, uh, Katie, like a kind of old-fashioned ground, isn't it? Yeah. Quite nice. It's always good like that. Brockville was amazing for that. I used to love going to Brockville, but obviously that's not there. Obviously not there anymore. But no, it's one of my favourite supermarket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've got quite, I've got quite a few likes. So I like Stenhouse. I liked that a lot. Stenhouse Fair. Yeah, quite yeah. nice. Um, I went to our growth to see bizarrely Aberdeen play Falkirk in a friendly, and it is nice. It very windy. Like it was okay. a completely windless day, but there was this weird like wind tunnel in the stadium. It's quite cool. I like that a lot. Um, in terms of regular ones, you go to uh, St. Johnson, love it. It's a really quick trip up the road. Pies are brilliant. It's got that really nice pub in the stadium. That's why I like Partick as well. It's just a really good day out. Um, I really like Easter Road, actually. Tynecastle's my closest one, but I'm not that keen. And both the Dundee clubs are decent, handy to get to. Bizarre the first time you ever go to one of them because they are literally across the road from each other. I cannot mm-hmm. believe that. Can pretty much touch both entrances. It's the weirdest thing. I think are they the closest two teams, closest two stadiums in Europe? I think we. I, think I was throwing so. that stat about. I think so. I mean, they're separate about some hundred yards, so that's the size yeah. of the football pitch. Yeah, so. I think they must be. So quite like there, Ross County is good for the day out. We're going to get to the point where I've listed every stadium in the week and said hi, Rob. So that's not the longer. <laughs> um. I don't actually. I really actually really like Killy, so I'm a bit. I think Killy have gone down because I like them for the day out. It's a bit of a pity. Motherwell's not bad. I don't really mind any of them. Like, not bad. I just don't really like high rocks. But I think you get used to kind of the ones that you think are a good day out, or the ones where you're kind of used to going to, and it does help if there's like a little like kind of supporters area or a stadium kind of bar and stuff. We were at the one at Livy. It was actually really good. Because that, I just think, makes it more of an experience. And I think a lot of clubs, especially if you're building new stadiums, should be looking at what they can offer to fans travelling, especially if your stadium's not kind of centrally located. Yeah. Because I think it must be a brilliant way to make money. If you've got, you know, like what Partick have got or St. Johnson and things, that is a really good opportunity to get, you know, fans in a couple hours before the game, make some money. But also I think it just means that afterwards, you're generally speaking quite positively about that team. And it is surely quite good to be giving, you know, you give your club a bit of a boost, I think. You don't really want people to say, oh, I hate going there, it's a middle of nowhere, nothing to do. I think after what we've been through, people will take, you know, a, a rotten Tuesday night in the, the oh, rain an hour. To right now, <laughs> oh, I'm going to pay right now on a Tuesday night, the pouring rain. Mm-hmm, exactly. And no macaroni pies. I'm going to even get a bit of pie. But I do think a, a lot of it is about the fan experience. I think clubs should be thinking going forward now, especially when we're trying to get money back in, fans back in, about how you can make the experience, you know, a day out. And a lot of the kind of bars they've got, the stadiums have kids in and they've got stuff on for kids. And that as well encourages, you know, families to make a day out of it, as opposed to, oh, it's a bit of a hassle having to go here. You know, Stenhouse Muir do that really well. Um, when we've been there, it was a couple of years ago now, but they um, they get like supporters buses in and they have like a magician on for kids and you can sit and have a few drinks and stuff when you go up in the supporters bus and it's absolutely brilliant. And then the kids get in free. Um, I love magicians. Is it just for kids? 
well, you get to sit and watch it as well, but um, and you pretend and like you're all like you oh, pretend you're not. But but actually, love it. Erin, if you're there with your dad, you count as a child. <laughs> if, honestly, if clubs start putting on magicians for pre-match entertainment, I'm there. That'd be brilliant. But I do think with like you know trying to get kids involved and going and being interested, it becomes a bit about the day out. Yeah, and a lot of people you know do want that because you do want it to feel exciting and special, and you want you know especially young kids who 90 minutes can be, I guess, quite, I suppose you have to kind of weigh up the age. I'm looking at John here, who's got young kids, and I guess it's having, you know, there is an age where they're maybe too young to go. And so you get to the point of, right, this is a good age for them to go, and you make it a fun day out. Because if we don't get kids into football, stands will be empty in 20 years' time. Exactly, and that's something that Hamden could do with more around... No, for I think some are trying to put in fan zones, but um, it's as usual where those first come first serve type of things. But clubs are trying, um, so the more innovative ideas, the better. Um, as we try and increase the fan experience. Um, so we'll move on to the final question. Um, so name a six-a-side team from your lifetime. Um, the reason why we're saying a six-a-side team because eleven will take too long, and we've been reminiscing about the ten and sixes over the last year or two as well. <laughs> Who wants to go first? Ladies first. <laughs> right. I said, I'm not, I hadn't prepared this. I'm really sorry. I did do my homework. I feel like Scott McGill on this podcast. All right, 100 um, lines for you. You've got my 11, so we'll just cut out the ones that I don't want in there. Um, Jim Leighton. Um, loan players obviously allowed, aren't they? Yeah. James Madison is getting straight into there. Um. Joey Harper for the goals as well. Russell Anderson. How did he play in your lifetime? All right, am I, all right, okay, sorry, okay, fine. Well, Jim Layton's pushing it, to be honest. Right, we're going to have to chuck in Joe Lewis. Um, Joe Lewis is having to go in goals. Then, in fact, we may have Danny Ward back, actually. No, we'll have Joe Lewis, because I do like him. Joe Lewis, James Madison, Andy Constantine, absolute hero. We'll have Adam Rooney for the goals then. Because he will score the goals. We'll have Kenny McLean from his new Scotland call-up. I think it quite, it's quite an attacking, creative team. Andy Constantine's got a lot of work to do here. Mm-hmm. And controversially, Scott Brown's going in there. Captain, done. Fair enough. Stephanie? I kind of went I went for a female one just to continue the Good. theme with the Excuse. podcast. And uh, I tried to kind of pick players that I grew up with, so it was kind of hard because, you know, there wasn't as many much exposure at the time. But I went for Hope Solo in goals. Um, very attacking mine is I've only got one defender, and that's Alex Scott. And then I've got a midfield of Rachel Yankee, Kim Little and Alex Morgan. And then, of course, it's got to be Julie Fleeting up front, isn't it? What a legend she is. So that was my very, very Arsenal-based, but um, growing up, they won everything. So it's got to be. I think you're you're winning every game about six four. I think. Yeah, fine. I'll say that. Take it. I think you're scoring goals, but you might be conceding. But I mean, if you win every game six four, you win the league, aren't you? So that's exactly. Plus two goal difference every game. (laughs) And Katie, finally to you. Well. I would have said Johnny Martin in goals, but if I don't say David Hutton, my son will absolutely disown me. So we're going for David Hutton in goals. And then I would have um, Paul Jack, Kenny Black, 
got to get the Spanish contingent in there. So Antonio Calderon and David Fernandez has got to be in there. And my all-time favourite diamond is Stevie Cooper. God rest so, his soul. That's my time. That's my team. Yeah, very good. Well, um, Natasha sends her apologies. Um, we didn't kick her out because of the Tom Rogic reference. She just lost her connection, so she says um, thanks and um, cheerio to you, girls. So, um, all I can say is thanks very much, um, Stephanie and Katie, um, for coming on, and Erin as always for contributing. And this no, thank a, you very much. Point. I think it is really good to be able to listen to podcasts which are, you know, a mix of different supporters, different clubs, you know, men, women, all of that. And I think that is what we're kind of looking at doing this season so that everyone kind of feels there's something for them. Thank you. That was um, from my first podcast. That was actually not as bad as I thought it was going to be. They're they're just horrible. It's me on a Monday night. Don't worry. No, I'm the same. Thanks very much. It was great. And it was was really good to to do this and chat and meet you all as well. So thank you. Yeah, this will be the first and by no means the last of the women fan specials that we do this season. Um, thanks so much, ladies, again. Thank you.